0: Kaiju FM, come find your niche.
1: Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we take a movie, we dissect it, we talk about all the themes and ideas it throws up, and our reaction to the movie itself. And as always, we end the show with our recommendations, further reading, further watching, inspired by the movie of the week. We always start the show with what else we've caught up with since our last recording session. So Sam, in the last two weeks, has anything graced your eyes or ears you want to talk about?
0: It tells you something about my life that now, in a period of two weeks, I've managed to see half a film. Uh, <laughs> so don't tell me about the end of Infinity War because I've just seen the first half of that. And it it it's I mean it seems to be a very serviceable superhero film, and I quite like seeing all the Marvel characters from different places. I enjoyed seeing Guardians of the Galaxy again and Black Panther again. Um, and no doubt it will be incredibly predictable and people will end up hitting each other very hard at the end um, but the the idea was to, to watch that uh, in the past two weeks and managed to watch about an hour and a half of it. so come back to me the next couple of weeks when I may or may not have watched the other half what about you?
1: So I've seen quite a lot of things in the last uh, two weeks. There only two I'm going to talk about, one of which I hated with a fiery, fiery passion. One was very good. (laughs) Um, So the one I hated with a fiery, fiery passion is a documentary currently doing the rounds on Netflix called American Meme, which basically is a wordplay on the American dream. Um, It's talking about the new wave of influencers. So is people who are famous on social media. Um, and their business model is based around being famous on social media. And it's, it's kind of about how the toll of that and the effects of that and what it's like to really do that. But it is filled with the least likable people in the world on it. Um, the, most, the most likable person is probably Pat Hilton, um, who appears on the show. And it's it's a badly made movie about terrible people. Um and it has nothing to say beyond, you know, maybe social media isn't great for you long term, which isn't this day and age doesn't feel like a, a revelation that maybe they think it is. So, yeah, it's if you're interested in that kind of social media online culture, it's an interesting artifact because they do get some Elliot Pat Hilton to talk about stuff. Um, and they do have some sort of, you know, big sort of social media stars in it. But for me, it was a. I don't know, a, a day trip into into depravity and the worst sort of humanity in a way I wouldn't want to repeat.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but on the other end of the scale, um, I actually got to the movies movies recently and uh, went with my brother and we went to see at 10am in a lo- an absolutely lovely cinema in Bristol um, called the Everyman Cinema, which is just it's just beautiful little cinema. Um, and we saw Battle Angel Alita or Alita Battle Angel, depending on how you're pronouncing it. Um, which is a uh, Robert Rodriguez film uh, Telling the tale of a he cyborgy human girl um, Who is found in the Scrap heaps of um, A city and her adventures From there on It's very James Cameron-esque And it was already produced by him And he, he, It is Rodriguez channelling um, Cameron He hasn't got quite got the flair for the action that Cameron has But it's a good, good, fun movie The visual effects are spot on Throughout um, it doesn't, despite its tendency to be very cyborgy and computer generated, it doesn't stray too much into transformers sort of loss of geography. And I really, really much enjoyed it. It is, you know, it, it is a big dumb box movie. So it's it's very clearly trying to be a, set up for a franchise and a sequel. So it loses some points in that respect. But it was a good, fun time at the movies for me.
0: And right then, back to the nineteen fifties. We are continuing with our moved through martial arts cinema, and we come up to nineteen fifty nine with um no which was released in the West as uh, Samurai Saga. and it's a version of M. Rostard's play Surrounder de Bergerac, and it's this um, sort of courtly tale from the 17th century, France transplanted into a um, very different milieu, of, of the relationship between the samurai and samurais samurai is going to war. Um, the lead is to Shirafuni, who we've seen in Seven samurai before, we've seen in in many other Japanese films, Kurosawa films among them, um, of the nineteen fifties and sixties. Um and yeah, it seemed to be quite quite a faithful reshreding of the Sarano Bergerac story, but with some interesting support, some good support from Sakura, Tsukasa, you see I can't pronounce his name. And Akira Takarada. Um but I suppose Shoshira Mifune was the the standout as he was meant to be. This whole film seemed to be built around him. So Rob, what were your thoughts? See, I
1: I very much enjoyed this movie. After being a bit lukewarm, a bit lukewarm last week on the other movie. This one I think because it brought in an element of humour that we haven't seen previously in, mm. in the human genre. That I really enjoyed it It was funny as well as a good action. It does take a certainly darker turn towards the last third, um, and it is a it is like a quite a harsh shift towards tragedy in the last third. But I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the action scenes. I enjoyed the characters, and I enjoyed the comedy, albeit minor, that it brought to it. Um, so yeah, I, I I very much enjoyed it. It took me a while to get into it. I think I found the first I don't know, the first, first act a little dense a little tricky to follow. Um, but yeah, once, once I kind of got my head around sort of the plot and where it was going and who all the main sort of actors were, um, I, I very much bought into it. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. And I thought this, um, sort of this translation of this, um, story from one, one, I suppose, context to another worked really well. Um, and well, like you, it took me a while to get on board with it. It was, well, is, in in the original play. There's sort of this confusing bit at the beginning involving involving a play within the play, and someone saying, "Well, you you shouldn't shouldn't be performing this," and there's a fight, and that that seems to be quite confusing in the source. Anyway, um, and mm. yeah.
1: I must say, I just put a quick, quick aside there. I have never read the source or seen the source in its original form. I, I didn't. So, in, 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 in no, a no,
0: I, I didn't know anything about it myself, and it was something I knew vaguely about in passing. And I had to read up on when, when we came to watch this film. So, yeah, I, I've seen, I, I've read, sort of plot summaries, and I've seen various clips, but I haven't actually read or seen the original myself either. Um I enjoyed it it felt like quite a modern film. Um mm-hmm. there was the the movement the the move from our last film, nineteen forty three, to this one felt like a lot more than sixteen years. It felt much closer to something like Dodus Cardin. And I don't know whether that was because this was a film, a Japanese film in colour. I don't know how much of it was that, but it did feel very the the camera work. There felt something much more dynamic about the movement, the cameras.
1: Yeah, I I I, I agree. I think the film up that game certainly in the technical technical film sense. I mean, obviously the, the big leap to colour, which is a new one for us. Um, was put to great effect. I think for me, certainly that helped with some of the fight scenes because I could um, track who was who a bit more. Mm. But for me, for me, one of the really sort of brilliant things was it was was the use of montage. Like just before the war broke out, there was this really like bizarre sequence in which we had like fast shots of lightning and rushing water and and the trees and then like horses running, and it it was completely non linear, non narrative sort of section that sort of already brought in the sense of sudden onset of war, um, which then sort of made the big bleep from sort of the more sort of I don't know, courtly intrigue to first half two that to the battle scenes afterwards. Mm. And that I thought was a really nice sort of step up in terms of filmmaking style and filmmaking technique.
0: Yeah. I did I have to say I I did really enjoy this film. One thing that I wasn't quite sure about the. I I will flag this up fairly early on. Is that I felt at times like the director was more comfortable in scenes with low lights that could have been filmed in black and white. So the nighttime scenes mm-hmm. where the colours weren't necessarily as important. So I did feel like feel like that was, and particularly the end of the film. I thought the end of the film was beautiful. That it was brilliantly shot, and I just wondered.
1: Yeah, I, I think part of, part of that is that the nature of filmmaking of the age. Like night shoots weren't a thing that, even today, night shoots are a hard, hard thing to shoot. Um, right. And if you've got a lot of money. Um, and night, night shoots are often, there's something called night for day. You can, you can shoot night for day. So you shoot during the day, and you ask them to make it look like night. Um hmm. really light like it the right way. Or sort of dusk time, you can make that look like night there's a reason yeah. why in every sort of movie you watch when it's nighttime, it's as well lit as everything else but it's blue um, it's a very easy cinematic language for night time um, and here they didn't do that really there are some really sort of really dark and murky scenes um, yeah. which I, I enjoyed that I enjoyed that kind of richness to the look of the movie um, and because the, the story is this kind of I don't know it's a lot about visuals probably because of, of, the sort of Serrano's himself his view on his nose Seriously, so mm. um, yeah. he—it's like, a lot about visuals, and a lot about how people handlings look. I—I I, I think the sort of the more sumptuous visuals of this really sort of played into that strength.
0: I did, I did really enjoy some of. I mean, I've told the beginning of this was sort of a film built around to show and it just it came to me in in one of the, one of the early scenes with. Lady Uchi when he thinks she's talking about him and then she clearly isn't mm. and the sort of I think the repressed emotion on his face was brilliant and that was I said there there was a link to well you've seen Bro Bro Branfan yes. there was a link and um, someone another actor recently said that. I mean it, what a terrible thing it was that we lost Heath Ledger because the last two minutes of Broken Mountain were the best better acting that he'd seen and I just I remember looking at it and get, going back to this clip and seeing I mean the the way he acts with his face was amazing and the way that Toshiro Mifune does it with mm. his face as well is, is astonishing because you you know exactly what he's going through at this point Um, I'll put I'll Find
1: that clip and put a link the yeah, there. No, I think it is. It's this is a film because, as I, said, I mentioned, it's we're gonna get sort of spoiler here, guys. But the end, sort of third, the end act and the very end scenes are very, very emotionally wrought scenes. You see these characters who you've followed through the entire story, a lot of them, all of them die really, um, some brutally, some poetically. Um, and I only think that works because of the power of the acting you know the the the, the main role um uh, i'll put's a bit wrong but hetero um could easily have been and he it was, it was he was comic, but he could have been a comic character in that you laugh at him um and I think by the fact that he owned um his 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 nose and he owned his place in society. And you saw him through the entire story. And the power of the acting means that that end scene in which he dies and you have the um, falling blossoms and all of that felt earned. It felt it felt genuinely mm. emotional.
0: Yeah, I, I remember I mean, watching that a bit and, and thinking, and him just saying, this is the death of a clown, this is ri- ridiculous. So I remember thinking, well, mm. no, you're not a clown. Don't say that about yourself. I remember being really emotionally. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's,
1: it's that kind of thing. If you've got something about yourself that people are going to mock you for, it's easier to own it. And if you can own it, then they take a mm. I remember an interview with Kevin Smith years and years ago um, when he was at his heaviest, when he was a, he was a very heavy set guy. Um, and he was always like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a fat nerd. And if I own that I'm a fat nerd, when people call me a fat nerd, I'm like, yes, I am. And it takes a wind of those sales. Um, and I think the fact that he's always calling himself a clown, and he's always talking about his nose, he's always talking about all of that, it means that when he when people attack him, they can't attack him for that, because he owns it, he's willing to dra- yeah. draw some incredible weird, weird parallels, have you seen 8 Mile?
0: Um, I've seen bits of I don't think I've ever actually seen the whole film.
1: Spoiler's now for 8 Mile guys um, but the, the end scene of 8 Mile, and it's a Tragic story of of Eminem's life of his girlfriend leaving him and his parents breaking up and all like all the sort of the sort of horrible things happened to him um, and he's going into like a rap battle and he's all a bit like everyone's like oh yeah all his enemies are mocking him for all this stuff and you know that kind of rap battle away and his last rap he basically lists off everything that's happened to him you know he says this, this is all that's happened to me I own it I accept it what do you got to say now and the guy opposite him kind of falters because, like, everything he was going to say has been taken away from him. And it's that same kind of feeling. Like If you own what they're going to attack you for, then they can't attack you for it. I'm,
0: I'm just wondering how... I mean, Shiro Mifune is a huge star. I mean, he's associated with Kurosawa, and he's he's played... I mean, I think even in, in the end sequence when, when he's listing off the... Um, the news reports he refers to a character which he mm. himself played in a series of films so he's he's huge and he's a he's a household name in japanese cinema at the time and i wonder whether he was too big and too i mean he's a good looking guy like yes. what, was he the right person for this that's what i'm saying
1: um i i don't know because it, cause it this is—it's this—it's it's a game. The same thing for Game of Thrones when they've got um, Peter Dinklage playing the imp in that, mm. who's supposed to be this horrendously defigured character, and Peter Dinklage is a good-looking man. Um, so I think I—I I agree. I think he's—he brings the power of his acting to it. Yeah. But when the story resolutely tells you he's an—he's an ugly person, and you look at him and think, he's, he's still not. You, think, you know, he's still. Yeah. Shiromuni, like he's still a good looking man, um, and uh, we, we talk, we've obviously seen him a lot over the when we did the Kira Kura We've seen this guy a lot, and he's a good looking man. and The prosthetics don't think cover that enough, um, and and sort of the comparison from him to the other samurai who are supposed to be the good looking ones. Um, I don't think there's a big enough gap
0: there, mm, yeah.
1: And it, I mean, and obviously, we weren't there at the time, and context of these things is always key, but like. These days, when you have actors who are like who disappear into a, a role, and you think about people sort of like um, Charlize Theron, who disappeared recently, I think she did a um, monster, um, and she like she she looks nothing like she. Nicole, Nicole Kidman recently did, a, did an amazing sort of revenge movie where she sort of not went ugly in inverted commas, but she embraced that side of things, and It looks brilliant, but she's still Nicole Kidman. Mm. And so many movies when they're like, oh yeah, here's here's this guy when he you know he before, (laughs) I've got to bring it in, Sam. She's all that.
0: Well, I mean, you you will laugh because, yeah, you you'll see why later on.
1: (laughs) She's all that, which which for listeners know is a film that Sam and I have argued about for. Twenty-five years now, <laughs> uh, but it, that, that, one of the the thing that made me laugh about that is like the big reveal in which she becomes hot. Like she was already a very beautiful girl. Mm. Like from the second she was on screen, you can tell she's a good-looking person. And it's kind of like it, I mean, it, it was. It was very mocked in I think in um, the spoof movies of the time. But like it's like I, I get what we are making for, but she's still she's still a good-looking girl. Yeah, you know the makeover. Fair enough, but fair enough. So yeah. There you go. I had to bring that in somehow.
0: You you will laugh that that is not the not the last time that that film is going <laughs> to
1: be <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with that. Um, but I think I mean I think the other thing in we talked briefly the thing is I think the film looks great. I think, you know, the the fight scenes which aren't aren't multitudinous movie movie and I think this is a one thing that I better want to talk about a little bit now is when we went into talking about martial arts movies um, and we thought we'd look at this season of doing martial arts movies the first four weeks has been incredibly eye-opening for me in that a lot of the early martial arts movies are very light on the martial arts
0: mm.
1: they're much more Drama-driven stories—they're much more narrative stories. I'm sure that will change once we start getting into maybe sort of the later movies and films where the martial arts are more of a draw, particularly for Western audiences, mm. um, because these are being made for Japanese audiences. Martial arts are a part of that life, so they didn't need to be seen all these things. But this is another one where like, there are a few, there are a few fights here and there. And they're very good. Um, I was reminiscent the sort of the first fight you see. Um, it was sort of like a four-on-one fight um, before the play. Was very reminiscent of the early fights uh, from last week's movie. Yeah, uh, down by the Docklands. That was I enjoyed that kind of little echo through there, and obviously the big fight scenes at the end. Um, which, having watched movies where you see the sort of the balletic, elegant martial arts, and and sort of the the idea of of like, the lone man here, like you get into the, more the brutality of war. You know, and the idea that. Samurais were, well, they were soldiers. They were warriors, um, and they fought in wars. Um, and I think that was a nice not a nice thing to see, but it was interesting to see that other take on this, uh, on on the sort of martial arts, and they their tool was for war. It wasn't, you know, protecting the innocent and the weak, and the skills they're used for. But they are for war, and we saw that in this movie. Yeah.
0: I Seriously, actually, there was... Thinking about I mean, and I hadn't thought about that the, the how how low on sort of what you think is sort of kicking and throwing and fighting and you think of think of a stereotypical martial arts film being like there there was none of that it was mm. it was very much about um, the central character about Kamaki or chair, I don't know which where the names go. But it was very much about his relationship with the young man and the woman and sort of overcoming his own desires as a part of that. And it was yeah, it was a film about relationships. It wasn't a film about fighting at all. And I wonder whether that's like you say, if that's linked to the the context, if that's sort of we We don't need to have a film with very much of that because everyone knows that that's above of life, and we can focus on something that's more interesting.
1: I think it's like you know it's like a lot of sports dramas in the in the, that we watch these days, some of them are like heavily into the sport themselves or some of that's in the background. You know, I recently yeah. watched remember Titans, and the football is a small part of that sports movie because no one needs. A lot of people aren't interested in, in the minutiae of how sports matches are fought. It's about the people and the place and the relationships, and, and that was a. It's a very interesting eye opening for me in terms of you know, viewing these as sports movies. But like a lot of them, they aren't about the sport; they're about the people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that, and like you say, would be interesting to see. What the changes when these become films made for quote unquote Western audiences or mm. for non-Japanese, non-Taiwanese, non-Hong Kong audiences mm. become designed for other people to see our culture as it were. Yeah.
1: And I think hopefully in time we'll look at how the Western audiences in turn made their own versions of these and
0: yes took on yeah. board those things. Definitely.
1: So, Sam, I think I know one of your answers, but do you have some recommendations?
0: Well, this, this is the thing. One of my recommendations is it's not cheese or That, but it's, it's a film like that. And it's a film I haven't seen. And I'm bringing it up, and I, I think you could guess throughout a million years without it getting anywhere near it. Um, but Samurai Saga is based on Surrounder Bergerac and some play by a number of films over the years, not least Roxanne, Steve Martin. But I'm going to go for a 2018 Netflix film, which is a high school rom-com drama called Sierra Burgess is a Loser. Now, the thing about this is that... Well, several of the Netflix films I've seen have been unexpectedly good, and this is a Netflix film. Um, and also, it, in spite of my antipathy towards these, all that I do actually have a bit of a soft spot for like candy floss high school mm. movies, teen movies, and I think it might be to do with nostalgia. And there was sort of a gluff of them around the late nineties, early two thousand. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm going for Sierra Burgess is a loser it's not cheese or that but it's the closest I've been fair enough,
1: I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that I will
0: <laughs> my um, well, second recommendation is another Shira Mifoni film um, which I believe we've mentioned before um, and it's based on Macbeth and it's a story of intrigue and politics and, and sex and it's Um, Another Kuro film So we haven't done it this time round We didn't touch on it in the Kuro season But I want to bring it up It's 1957's Throne of Blood Those are my recommendations For this week Sierra Burgess is a loser And Throne of Blood From the Sublime the Ridiculous or the other, um, that's fair
1: enough, fair enough. You have already mentioned one of my recommendations, um, which is the Steve Martin vehicle, Roxanne. right. Um, which, if those don't know, is another, is more of a more modern retelling of uh, the Ciano de story. Um, so it is set in America and it stars Steve Martin in the titular role. Well, in, in, in the Ciano de he's not Roxanne, um, <laughs> but uh, he stars as the Ciano uh role. It's Steve Martin. In his, his, his good years, in the peak of his years, he's very funny in it. Um, it has a happier ending, shall we say, than the original play instead of this movie. Mm. Um, it ends in a, a lighter note. But if you haven't seen it, and it being that wrong year, a lot of modern auditors haven't seen it. It's worth seeing that if you get a chance. My second recommendation, which I'm, I'm, just, I'm just glad I got to mention this. Um, my second re- recommendation um, is an actorly one. So the actor who played Girato um, is called Akira Takagara. Takarada? Takarada. Sorry. I, I, feel, I feel terrible. We murder these names. Um, but he is more well known for being the lead in the original Godzilla movie. Anyone who knows me knows that I love um, Kaiju movies. There's the reason why Kaiju FM is called Kaiju FM. It's the reason why I'm Rob Kaiju on Twitter. It's because I love movies about giant monsters. And Godzilla is. Whilst well, it's not the original, he is certainly one of the most iconic of those. So, a chance in which I can mention Godzilla, in which I can bring up the original Godzilla movie, I'm going to take it. So, it's the 1954 version, the original uh, Japanese version of uh, Godzilla. There have been many versions, and he does pop up interestingly in the modern reboot that came out a couple of years ago. He pops up in that in a small role. I presume it's an homage to his original, his original role so yeah they, they, those are my recommendations once again very wildly different um, <laughs> but uh, Roxanne and Godzilla
0: brilliant right then um, if if you want to talk to us more about teen high movies or kaiju movies then you can find us on Twitter we're both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast
1: you can find just me at Rob Kaiju
0: or just me at life underscore academic.
1: We're back next week with our next movie in our martial arts series. We are picking up in the 60s, the swing 60s, with the 1966 movie Come Drink With Me. I believe this is available on Amazon Prime, so you can catch it there. If not, various other online outlets may service your needs. But till then guys, we'll see you in two weeks.